Greetings, everyone. I'm Pastor Evan. Delighted to be here this morning. Glad that you're here, too, in the house. I appreciate this morning that, uh, as we've already talked about forgiveness, as we've been singing about God's goodness to us and forgiving us, uh, that one of the things that we recited this morning is how Jesus instructed us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And when Jesus instructs us to pray, one of the most striking lines of that related to today is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's a powerful statement to pray. Those debts can lock us in, as we saw in the video. Jesus freely forgives us if, like we talked about last week, we confess and then are willing to receive that forgiveness. And then we're supposed to extend that to others, that same forgiveness. What's remarkable about that, um, I was thinking uh, of this in context of that TV show from ABC of a number of years ago, Extreme Makeover, Home Edition. Any watchers of that couple? Remember that? Move that bus, right? That was the big line. And uh, so they'd come in. I know they even came to Lincoln at one point and redid a home here. In the early seasons, they'd redo a home, you know, somebody who had significant hardship in life, significant needs, somebody who was a helper but just didn't have the, the time or the means to take care of their own home, and it was falling apart and in disrepair. Um, and there was just, the, the problems were just overwhelming, so they'd come in and take care of it. As the seasons went on, you know, they started tearing down a house, and then it seemed like every house they just tore down from that point on. They never even tried to redo them. Let's just start over. But always with the move that bus part, you know, you'd see them roll away the bus that was blocking the house so they could see the new house at the end of the show. And it didn't have, happen every episode, but uh, it happened many times that whatever builder they were working with on the show would sometimes say, not only did we rebuild your house, but we paid off your mortgage for you. And those were remarkable moments in the show because you could see this sort of lifting off of them of this giant burden because that's what those debts are, right? They're just a burden that weighs us down. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Take those burdens away. That's what's happening. And in the series that we're in right now, this series on forgiveness and moving forward into God's best because of that, we were talking about the idea last week of confession, that when we confess, when we, when we get rid of grievances and grudges and bitterness and sin of the past, we're confronted with what will God do when we give those over, when we confess those. And what God will do when we hand those over is actually forgive. And, and more than that, God won't just forgive and relieve the debt, but God will begin to form in us being a person who forgives at that point, to be forgiving. And in that forgiveness, we find freedom to do God's work in the world. It's not freedom to fall back into the pattern that God knit us into the problem in the first place, but freedom to do what God has called us to do, who God has called us to be. True human flourishing is what happens at that point. Last week, then, if we said confession is the path to freedom, this week we're in step two, which is forgiveness is the path to that freedom. 
Confession is the starting point. Forgiveness is that middle component on the path to freedom and how God intended for our lives to be. Forgiveness, if we're going to give it some kind of a definition, is pardon. That's the simple way to say it. And uh, Easton's Bible Dictionary, which I like very much, can kind of continues that idea on that what what God is doing. If we reflect on being forgiven by God, first and foremost, what God is doing, Easton says, in pardoning sin, God absolves the sinner from the condemnation of the law and that on account of the work of Christ. That is, it's only done through Christ. And through Jesus Christ, in other words, he says he removes the guilt of sin or the sinner's actual liability to eternal wrath on account of that sin. The debt is lifted. It's taken off. God's wrath is no longer aimed at the sin that's on us because the sin has been removed. It's aimed at the sin, but the sin is not on us anymore. And we have to recognize that what's happening that caused the offense in the first place, we don't want to think of simply in a transactional sense between us and God that needs to be forgiven It's not just that we broke a law or trespassed or walked over a line. Yes, those things occur. Those things are are what would walk us into the territory of sin. But what's actually broken is a relationship. That's why the law is there. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law. That the law was given so that people could walk in relationship with God. Jesus fulfilled the law so that we could walk in relationship with God. That's the point, not just that a transaction was messed up. And you can think of this in terms of your own family or friend situations. If a kid steals from their parents, if a friend steals from a friend and then lies about it even even more and then gets caught on top of that, you don't just have a series of transactions that have been broken. You have relationships that have been broken. Trust has been broken in those moments. And in thinking about forgiveness then, and looking at, at this, we're going to look at it in a personal level, human to human, as we, as we dig into our Acts 15 this morning. But we can see when forgiveness, some signs that forgiveness has occurred in our relationships, uh, particularly with humans, but with God as well, when that relational weight is lifted between two people, between us and God. I remember about 20 years ago, I was down at the Covenant Church in McPherson, Kansas on a warm summer night, and uh, it was just uh, a typically humid, about 1,000% humidity that night. I walked out of the church, and uh, it was, the sun was starting to set, but you could still see, and it felt like, I mean, it felt like a fog. It was just humidity in the air. It was that thick. It weighs on you. It's almost oppressive. There's so much moisture in the air. It slows down. You're walking. And that's what it can feel like when forgiveness needs to occur. It's like the elephant in the room. It's like or that, the commercial where the elephant's sitting on the guy, you know, the drug commercial. It's something like that. When that relational weight is removed, you have a sign that something's changed for the better in the relationship. The other thing, another sign that I would point to that forgiveness has occurred is that there's joy or enjoyment, again, within a relationship. That, that once again, there's kind of a, a lightness to how things are. Because when there's brokenness and difficulty in a relationship, it's heavy, it's anxious, there's sadness, there's lament, there's grief, all of those things. 
And, and we should note that, that when forgiveness does occur in a relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean everything is going to be the way it was. There might be things that change because of that. There might be new boundaries that are drawn or there might be new opportunities that present themselves in those relationships. But we can see the signs at least that the weight has lifted. I will note though that Relation, or forgiveness, even if it's spoken, hasn't been granted when someone still tries to lord it over somebody else. When somebody can still pull it out of the back pocket and say, remember when? Then it hasn't been forgiven at that point. So we should make those distinctions. This morning, then, let's turn to Acts 15. I encourage you to find that text. Um, and I want to start at verse 1. We're not going to stay at, we'll just read the first four verses to give ourselves some context. And we have here uh, a moment of brokenness among the saints. But it starts with seeing their unity and mission, first and foremost. So Acts 15, starting at verse 1. We get this record of Paul and Barnabas working together in the early church. It says, Certain people came down from Judea in Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some others, other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So you can see that Paul and Barnabas are active in this ministry together. There is a dispute going on among the early church of what it looks like to include Gentiles in this thing, which was always part of the plan, we should point out. God, uh, and you can see later in the text, if you keep reading on when the early church is discussing this in council, they bring together a text that talks about God always had intended for the Gentiles to be a part of his people. That's, in fact, why he commissioned Israel to do what they did. That's why he formed a people. So they would tell the rest of the world and bring them into the fold. That's the idea. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to be able to make a way so that everybody could come into the fold to bring Israel back to their original mission, to do that. And Jesus made that possible. Paul and Barnabas give testimony then to how among the Gentiles things are changing. They're responding to God's word and God's message of Jesus Christ and the new life that that brings. And they're coming in. Jew and Gentile can worship together. And the early church is wrestling with, well, how is this going to work out? What's the place of circumcision or the the law or those sorts of questions? But you can see this great ministry partnership that Paul and Barnabas have. And if I may point out, I'm going to guess that most of us in this room are Gentiles. So thanks be to God for the work of Paul and Barnabas because you can see a straight line because they reached out to the Gentiles. We're sitting here. Amen's for that. Thank you, Paul and Barnabas, for your ministry. If you go on to verse 36, then, the early church has now, uh, the council has talked through what does it look like, uh, what are the sort of limits 
of, of how to keep in continuity with the faith that God gave us through the Old Testament and to include Gentiles along the way. They write this beautiful letter. They send it out to the churches. Paul and Barnabas are part of that whole process. And then you get to verse 36, where it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers by the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So the mission partnership has ended. I don't know about you, I read this and I'm saddened by what I read. It feels a little like a church split, although it's not quite that uh, uh, big of a deal yet, but it feels heavy. This great mission partnership between these two friends has now broken apart. John Mark was the cousin of, of Barnabas, we learn in Colossians particularly. He left uh, Paul and Barnabas, we see both here and you see the actual incident in Acts 13, verse 13. Although if you go back and read it, and you can do that later, you'll, you'll be wondering what the, the issue was, because it just says John Mark left at that point. It doesn't really tell us anything. But here you find out there was a serious issue. He left on that first missionary journey that obviously caused an issue with Paul and between Paul and Barnabas. John Mark's actions caused this rift, so they part ways. Now the upside, uh, and there's an upside and a downside to this. The downside is, obviously, there's a mission partnership that breaks apart. And we're sad by that. We're sad to see it. We're sad to read it. I'm sad that they experienced it. The upside is it doubled their ministry impact, if you think about it. And that's not just a light upside like, hey, let's find both. No, it really did, right? They now form two missionary teams going in two different directions to do the same work. And we should recognize that God is still at work in our brokenness. God is still at work in those moments when it seems really hard to see the way forward. But what do we do when relational brokenness like that hits us in our lives? When things just aren't right? And if I may point out, we're kind of on this, we're on this specific theme of uh, forgiveness really for a couple weeks now. Um, and so we're talking about it more personally here. We'll talk a little bit more about it corporately next week about within a church. Uh, but, but within a church setting, if I may just quickly have a family conversation, First Covenant, um, we have a lot of wounds that we still carry from the past. That's an observation, not a judgment. That I, I remember coming in five years ago, and, and I could see it. We had some wounds. We have things that we carry from the past, and sometimes they weigh heavy on us. And that's hard. And you can see it even here in the early church, in their infancy. What happens right away? There are wounds. Right away. It happens, even in the youngest of entities. And we have to, have to learn, then, what do we do when those wounds come? What do we do when that hurt enters in? It happens in every church. There's good news we should recognize out of the text. John Calvin, in commenting on this text, I think makes a great point about John Mark that is helpful for us. He says, John Mark is rejected because he withdrew himself from Paul's company, 
but he fell not away from Christ. That's a really useful thing to remember. Right? None of these people are falling away from Jesus Christ. They're not falling away, falling away from the church. There's a relational rift that's gone on within the church. And there is a way forward. But those things can hit us. They can hit us in the church. They can hit us in our work life. They can hit us uh, in our family life. They can hit us all over the place where we need to figure out the way forward to forgive and what holds us back. Uh, what, what holds us back in those cases holds us back from God's best. And as we saw in the video, we need to let go. We need to learn to let go of those things so that we can move forward and move forward together so that we can lighten the load, so the weight doesn't hold us down from what God has intended for us and the freedom God has for us to do his work. So two questions we can consider this morning, and we'll just put them together even if they go in different directions from the issue of forgiveness. The two questions are, what transgressions against you do you need to release? So that the the burden doesn't simply just weigh you down. And then the other side of the coin is, what transgressions against others require your confession and perhaps their forgiveness? Because I'm pretty sure that if we thought it through, we can think of times when we've been hurt and we've hurt others. I've done it. We've all done it. We've all been on both sides of this. And sometimes one of the things that holds us back, and it can be from both sides of this, is we actually fear loss without realizing it. We actually fear loss. In some cases, hurt has come upon us, and maybe it's even a deep wound, and it's become so, such a part of who we are, we identify it with it deeply. Letting go of that is actually letting go of a part of our identity, we feel like. And it becomes very difficult to do. On the other side, perhaps we have wounded somebody along the way, and one of the things that prevents us from approaching is pride. We want to save face. We don't want to admit wrong in the process. And if I may point out, either direction you go, Not releasing those things brings negative consequences, not positive consequences. Not releasing those things makes us less like Jesus Christ, not more like Jesus Christ. Not releasing those things makes us less human than we're supposed to be, not more human than we're supposed to be. But it's very difficult sometimes to do this. What we need to fear in these cases is we need to fear pride, obviously, if we have that problem. We need to not fear loss. And we should fear where the wrath of God is in these cases, that it should be aimed at sin, not that sin sitting on us, not that sin sitting on our brother or sister unresolved. Just as Ephesians 4.32 tells us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you, That's the attitude we're supposed to have. That's the way we're supposed to be because that's what lightens the load. We're not designed to hold on to those burdens of sin. Jesus has done the work for us so we can release that burden. So how do we actually forgive or seek forgiveness? First and foremost, just like Ephesians 4.32 said, just like we saw in the video this morning from 1 John, we need to know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. 
It's going to be very hard to show the mercy of Jesus Christ if we don't know it firsthand. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's what God promises, and that promise is realized in Jesus Christ. That when we confess, when we receive that forgiveness, now a new work can be done in us. Because we've let it go and because God said, okay, now it's, it's so far away, we're not going to remember that. Maybe it's shaped who we are, yes. But God says, now I can do a new work in you. Now that forgiveness can be implanted in you and grow and be extended to others. We have to know that first and foremost. The second thing is we need to develop an attitude of grace about who we are. That needs to become a part of who we are. Um, I personally have had a season of difficulty in some ways, and I was, I was talking to my spiritual director uh, recently, and he was pointing out, he said, you know, when I go through moments that are difficult, my, uh, my spiritual director says to me, how's your gratitude? So I'm going to extend that to you. Evan, how's your gratitude? Are you grateful for the things that God is doing and has done around you? Because that shapes your character and who you are. And so in developing an attitude of grace, a couple things we should remember. One of those is when we encounter relationships that are difficult, we need to always approach others with the benefit of the doubt. I'm very much a a critic of, uh, in our culture, we're always talking about don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, and we shouldn't be judgmental, but we should also distinguish that judging and being judgmental are two different things, right? You're right now judging whether you want to continue to listen to me or not. That's not judgmental. That's just what we do, right? You judge how far it is to the door when you walk out of the sanctuary, and that's a good thing. Otherwise, what's going to happen? You'll run into it, right? So we, judging is okay. Being judgmental is not okay. But we need to approach our relationships with the benefit of the doubt. We might not have all the information that we need to make the assessments that we do. You'll see this built into, by the way, church relational covenants uh, many times. That We're going to offer that to our leaders, for instance. That We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. They might have more information. But you saw in, in uh, the video a number of good verses. Matthew 18 uh, is one that's, that's worth noting where Jesus gives instructions on how to handle this. And I think it brings with it this attitude of, of grace. Jesus says in, in Matthew 15, or 18, starting at verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, what are you supposed to do? Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. But what's interesting is uh, just after that, then Peter and Jesus talk a little bit further. So that gives us a kind of a method of going, but you still, you get the attitude a little bit further from Jesus of what's behind this. Because in verse 21, following along, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times the number of perfection? Would that be ideal? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but... 77 times. Have an attitude of gratitude. Have a graceful disposition even towards those who wrong you. Why would we do this? Number of reasons, but I'm just going to point out one. 
it's because we really want to avoid cynicism, especially within the body of believers. But in general, I would suggest avoiding it in general in your life, that if we become cynical, that is, we question the very intent of people from the start, and once that happens, that's like a disease within us. It's hard to root out. And it's hard to ever treat anybody gracefully if you immediately think their intention is bad, not good. They couldn't possibly mean what they say. They probably mean X, Y, and Z. And so for those of us then who develop that attitude of grace, not only do we approach others with the benefit of the doubt, but one other thing we need to do is we need to be signposts of that grace. So when we encounter the cynical when we encounter people who would otherwise say, oh, that person said this, but they probably mean this, we might say, you know what? I wonder if that's not actually what they meant. I wonder if their intent is X, Y, and Z. We need to be signposts of that very grace that we're supposed to develop within us. How do we forgive and seek forgiveness? So we must know Jesus Christ's forgiveness. We develop an attitude of grace. And the last thing I would point out is we have to have a hope higher than our relationships. First and foremost, we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, and that's where our hope is. I find a great rest in Colossians 3. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at God's right hand. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's where our hope is if we've been forgiven. We put away evil thoughts. We put away the sinful nature when we clothe ourselves with Christ, as Paul writes in Colossians 3, and our mind is set on things above. Our mind is sitting with Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. And so our actions are going to have to follow. That's where our hope is. That's where our relationships should go to. And so we play the long game in thought, word, and deed with all of our relationships. If we play the short game, we do what we find in culture. We tell someone off when we're mad at them, right? We call them a name, we cut them off. That's not what we do as God's people. We're playing the long game and thought, word, and deed. Think back to Paul and Barnabas. I wish there were a simple verse where it says, Paul and Barnabas reconciled and this is how it happened. We don't have it. It doesn't come down that way. We have evidence that they reconciled. But Paul and Barnabas, we can see, had a deep ministry partnership and a deep relationship. They traveled together And anytime you travel anywhere with anybody, I think, and you like them, you develop a depth of relationship. They traveled together. They shared the good news. This was something that brought them together. Is the rift that happens between them with John Mark all it takes to ruin the depth of relationship that they had? Is that all it would take? I mean, that that would be a sad testament to God's forgiveness in them if that's all it took. Instead, we read somewhere like Colossians 4, that, which chronologically would come after this, that Paul reveals he's working with John Mark again. They're working in partnership together. And so when we have issues, especially within the body, we have a hope higher than the current circumstances, we play the long game, we still worship together through thick and thin. That's how we do it. We pray for one another. And this can extend well beyond the body of Christ, by the way. Pray for, Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. And when he says that, he's saying it to be very specific in our prayer for our enemies because then we humanize them again rather than just making them an other. 
but we can apply the same principle even when there are relational difficulties, that if we pray for those with whom we have a difficulty, and it's not praying like, uh, God, I wish you'd make them less of a jerk, right? Don't pray that. We pray very specifically for their daily needs. The, the things we know. God, I wish that you would help them be wise in their parenting. I know they're really struggling with X, Y, and Z. Pray for your coworkers that way. God, I, I know that I've had an issue with such and so, but I know that they have a big presentation this week. I pray that you would give them the strength and the endurance to put it together and, and succeed. Pray for their success. It draws you closer. And the other thing is, when we have issues, we lean closer in, not farther away. There's this uh, human nature tendency, right, of fight or flight. Perhaps in the church we need to make it seek and hug instead. We, we need to lean in because we're in this together. I want to invite the band forward as I just give a final thought here. We should recognize in all things when we're talking about forgiveness, we're seeking to humbly seek it or humbly give it or willingly offer it as God's people. That's who we're supposed to be. But we have to remember in all of this that we can't control the actions of other people. We can only control our own actions. We're only in control of ourselves. That's the responsibility God's given us. We can only control our own attitudes and it's possible that we can ask for forgiveness and we may not receive it. I've had those relationships. I'm guessing you have too. But we have to go in humility to either give or receive. And we have to recognize that we have to have that formation in Jesus Christ that's willing to do both when it needs to happen. And it may or may not be reciprocated on the other end. It may come someday. It may not. But we're only responsible for our actions in those moments. We offer, we receive, whatever needs to happen. Jonathan Edwards has a good line about this as we close out. This is a paraphrase of one of his thoughts. He has hundreds of these. He says, Resolved that all men should live for the glory of God. Resolved, second, that whether others do or not, I will. Confession is the path to freedom, we said last week. Forgiveness is the path to freedom. We're not designed to carry the load of sin and the weight of those relational broken moments. We're not designed to bear that. We're designed for forgiveness. We're designed for reconciliation. We're designed to be free as God's beloved children. As we pray, I'm going to pray a prayer from the, the Book of Common Prayer that I think is a good, it's a Sunday prayer. It uh, involves forgiveness and more. So hear these words. Whatever you need to offer to the Lord through the prayer, please do so as I read these words. Let's pray together. O God, our King, by the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive our sins 
banish our fears. Make us bold to praise you and to do your will. And steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.